I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 28th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been talking with small business owners every day all over the world to find out ways they're coping, adapting, and growing during the global health crisis. We're with the journalist and writer David Sachs. He's the author of fantastic books like The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter, which looked at the resurgence of old-school sectors and products like film photography, records, and stationery, and also The Tastemakers, which explored the world of food trends. Well, he's just released a new book that came out in April, mid-pandemic, which we'll get into with him in just a bit, called The Soul of an Entrepreneur, Work and Life Beyond the Startup Myth. In the book, David strips away all the bullshit and hype that many of us hear about whiz kids dropping out of college and building the next unicorn. And instead, he focuses on the reality of entrepreneurship, why everyday business owners do what they do. It tracks pretty closely to how we feel. Entrepreneurs are the corner store owners and dry cleaners just as much as the fintech founder. Well, I caught up with David, who's on the line from Canada, to find out if any of his views have changed since COVID hit and what sort of entrepreneur might emerge on the other side. It started as this rather obscure idea about what it means to work for yourself. And I kept looking at freelancers and self-employed. And finally, a friend of mine who's like an Ivy League economist is like, oh, what you're talking about are entrepreneurs. And so when I started looking into it, that wasn't as clear. I would interview people, experts and academics really at the beginning, just to kind of get a sense of I don't know, the big picture. I would say, well, I'm writing a book about entrepreneurs. And they would say, well, what do you mean by an entrepreneur? I'd say, well, you know, what do you mean? And everybody had a different definition. And many of those definitions were exclusionary of the majority of people that I would consider entrepreneurs would consider themselves entrepreneurs, someone who owns a business that might be just a self-employed individual, someone who owns a business that's a neighborhood business that is, you know, a brick and mortar store or restaurant that might employ 20 people, even a business that is a family business or a lifestyle business that could employ dozens or hundreds of people, but it isn't built to grow exponentially and sell. In many cases, you know, the definition of an entrepreneur was so narrow and so exclusive that only a very small percentage of entrepreneurs would be able to fit into that. And that was largely the types of entrepreneurs who've been getting all the coverage, all the attention, all the study, you know, the funding. That really was out of whack with 99% of the entrepreneurs out there in the world. Yeah. And and you've interviewed tons of entrepreneurs for this book. At Courier, we've been bullish, obviously, on entrepreneurship always as a career path. Do you think that a 21-year-old right now will think twice about starting their own thing, given what's happening in the world? You know, the massive instability. I mean, is starting your own thing the only hope right now for true financial independence and stability, or actually is it the opposite? Yeah, look, there's two conflicting factors here, right? One is that, you know, statistically speaking, over the aggregate, you are better off taking a job at a big firm and working your way up like it's, you know, 1952 or you're working at like some giant Korean conglomerate today, General Motors or Samsung or whatever, right? But that underlies two truths that kind of undercut that. One is today, the odds of anyone getting a job at any big company are pretty low because with 10, 15, 25% unemployment going on around the world, like, There's, you know, in the United States alone, I don't know, 30 something million people who've lost their jobs. You know, even if the economy recovers in the next half of the year or two years, like not all those jobs are coming back. The majority aren't. So surely out of necessity, someone who is at any point in their career and needs to make a living is going to probably have to consider self-employment and entrepreneurship as a viable option. And 
it's not going to be easy to start a business. The market is terrible. The economy is down and credit is going to, you know, be pretty hard to come by, you know, let alone venture capital. I mean, just getting like a $10,000 bank loan. But here's the thing about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs, you know, it's a perfectly illogical behavior. Yes, it doesn't make sense on the aggregate to do it, but people still go ahead and do it because they they have a desire, they have an idea, they have an itch that they have to scratch, they have something that compels them to take that risk, regardless of you know the cost of it, and because they know and have this belief in themselves, a faith that they can make it work. That's always what's driven entrepreneurs in good times and bad. And the reality is there is opportunity in every single economy. There's opportunity in every single time. I know of people who are starting businesses now. They're doing it with the full optimism that entrepreneurs have always had. They realize what the market is. They know it, but they're like, well, there's something here. And yes, I have this job, but I think like, if I don't do this, I'm going to go crazy. If I don't do this, you know, there's a huge opportunity loss. I have to do this. And so I'm going to find a way to do it that works within this. And I think that's what's always propelled entrepreneurs and that's what's propelling them now. So that urge to scratch the itch will kind of supersede all the market conditions and, the, and everybody yelling you not to do it. For those who do it, right? Like in a given time, only about one in 10 people decide to go on their own and work for themselves. Uh, and that's because for the other 90%, you know, take that job and get the salary. And it's like that, that risk is too high. Although I suppose right now, as you said, I mean, there are no jobs either. So it's kind of like you're forced into entrepreneurship. Right. The risk is inaction. Uh, and so, yeah, many people will become, will be forced into entrepreneurship. They'll become what, what are referred to as necessity entrepreneurs or push entrepreneurs, you know, but people pushed into entrepreneurship. And that's been characterized in academia and policymaking as a negative. Oh, well, that's like the immigrant who comes and has to open up, you know, a dry cleaning business or a curry shop. And, and that's not as just as someone graduating from, you know, a top tier university and starting the AI scooter blockchain company or whatever. But the reality is that there are tremendous businesses all over the world that began because someone needed to make a living and they started that shop or that small company. And that thing has grown into, you know, who knows, it could be a, a medium-sized business, a large business, it could be a huge corporation. There is no one way to start, but we become obsessed with this one model of entrepreneurship. And we sort of reduce everything down to that model. And that model is A, broken, uh, because it excludes the majority of entrepreneurs, whether it's the types of businesses they want to run or their background excludes women, it excludes minorities, but also because it's, it just isn't tenable right now. You know, it's not like all the sweet Saudi money is going to just go fund everybody's, you know, hilarious startup. All those businesses are cratering. And everybody says, oh, now we actually have to get back to like a real sustainable business models. And so, you know, it's not going to be going out, preparing your pitch deck, standing up for five minutes on, on the stage on demo day, seeing how you're going to change the world with a cool slide. And then, you know, getting showered with checks from venture capitalists. That, that's over right? It'll exist where it belongs, which is like for companies in like biotech research and, you know, advanced chip design and things that actually need that. But like, if you're going to find a new way to sell, you know, sneakers online, you know, you're going to actually just have to sell sneakers and make money off it. But people still need sneakers. What's your take on the uh, the government loan schemes? And I, I suppose America, but the various countries where they've been given out. I mean, on one hand, you have people saying they've been a massive clusterfuck. On the other hand, you have people saying, well, they've been a lifeline for at least a couple of months to help me survive this period. 
you know, I, I'm here in Canada. I mean, from friends of mine that I've, that, that have businesses and have, have taken, you know, here we have like a 75% wage subsidy. That's sort of the main one. It has been a massive lifeline. They've been able to keep the doors open and survive. You know, other people I've spoken to here uh, say it's, it's not enough. You know, it's like, well, that doesn't help me because I don't have too many employees. That, that doesn't help me because, you know, the markets I have are shut out of. It's all imperfect. And then you're getting some public companies who are getting small business loans. Yeah, the LA Lakers, you know, were, were approved for one. Um, <laughs> so I guess uh, LeBron needs, you know, he's getting, the government's got to keep LeBron in business. He employs a lot of people. The reality is that, you know, survival, right? It's, it's purely sort of keeping the lights on. But most entrepreneurs know that they're in this alone. And they always have been, right? You know, when you're an entrepreneur that, you know, you really only can rely on yourself. You hope that you have a safety net. You hope that you have some support from the government and they, they realize the value of it. And I think the better governments around the world, like here in Canada, are doing that. In other ones, it's, it's much more difficult. The United States, obviously. I don't know how it is in, in the UK. But again, like at the end of the day, it's like as an entrepreneur, you know that you can't just wait for someone else to save you. You have two things. Every entrepreneur has two things. And what I've been saying in all my conversations, it's risk and freedom, right? The freedom to do the work you want, the freedom to make a change in that work as conditions shift. So like you're running a high-end restaurant, you're not just going to sit there and hope that high-end restaurant's going to reopen. You're going to figure out how to sell and deliver food and meals to people, meal kits, you know, change your, your place to a hamburger restaurant, whatever it is in order to do it. And you can do that today. You can do that in an hour because you as an entrepreneur has the freedom to do that. But along with that freedom, and this is the freedom that every entrepreneur strives for, is the risk that comes with that. The risk that your idea won't work. The risk that the market will change. The risk that your landlord changes, you know, raise the rent on you and your business is, is kicked out. Right now, the risk is everywhere. And it's, it's come to home to roost for every single entrepreneur in every single business, pretty much. And the greatest risk is activity. The greatest risk is sitting there and being like, oh, the government didn't give me enough money. You know, well, they're not going to save my business. Like you, I, I'm not being some libertarian Ayn Rand acolyte. But the reality is, and always has been, the only one who's going to be able to do it is yourself as an entrepreneur. That's the nature of entrepreneurship is that independence. And you have to exercise that freedom because the risk is in action. Do you think the push entrepreneurship you alluded to before will make people find gaps in the market quicker? I suppose, you know, you have different kinds of entrepreneurship. One is somebody who graduates from Harvard Business School or Oxford and says, I'm going to start this company just because I, I want to. And then you have somebody saying, I'm going to start this company out of pressure because I see a massive gap in the market. Do you think we're going to see more of that latter type of entrepreneurship where the immigrant comes from overseas to Queens and says, hey, you know, there's a gap in the market for this. Let's just do it. First of all, I think you always see more of that. There's only a certain number of people to graduate from Harvard and Stanford and MIT and Oxford and Cambridge and other sort of Tony schools. And they're the ones who get the attention. We assume they're this huge group of people, but it's really just a couple thousand people a year, right? Who are starting those types of businesses with those backgrounds. The immigrant, the person who's lost their job, the person who needs to start a gardening business or a construction firm or a home daycare or working as a cleaning person and team up with a couple of the cleaning people, they're still in the majority. Now you're obviously going to see a greater growth of that because while the number of people graduating from high-end schools is still the same, the number of people who have been thrust, kicked out of the workforce has grown. And we know that 
when economies are bad, when unemployment is higher, whether it's an advanced economy like Canada's or the UK or United States, or whether we're talking about the difference between a developed economy and a developing economy, a place like Argentina where I used to live, or Brazil or Mozambique. The higher the, the unemployment rate, the higher the number of people who are going to be entrepreneurs out of necessity. But again, that doesn't mean that those entrepreneurs are any less valid. And if you look around our economies and you look at some of the fantastic companies, you know, most entrepreneurs had some sort of necessity. There were people, you know, it's like, well, you know, my wife got pregnant and we were young and I had to do something. And so I started this business uh, or we moved here from Syria after being refugees and we, we opened this restaurant. Now we have five or 10. There are so many entrepreneurs who come from these great beginnings, but they're very humble. It doesn't mean that their idea is any less valid or has any less chance to grow and succeed. But again, we've, because we focused on such a narrow vision of entrepreneurship, such a narrow path to success, we've excluded that from our narrative. It doesn't make it any less true. And so we're going to see in the coming years, this is the reality of what we're going to see. The more people that become entrepreneurs, the more all sorts of different entrepreneurs are going to be reflected. And in a way, that's a good thing. It doesn't make their chances of success any greater. It doesn't mean that you know, a greater percent of them won't fail or meet the same fates, but you're certainly going to see a growth of it just purely out of necessity. I could think of anecdotally, you know, five individuals that I know who are in that very circumstance. And finally, I mean, you released this book right before the proverbial shit hit the fan. Oh no, right in the middle. It was like April 20th. So in the United States, it was like, you know, two days before school was canceled. I remember having called my publisher. It's like, so what are we going to do? They're like, well, the books are printed, so we can't hold off on it. But, you know, we think that, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll just roll with it. And it was just like, oh man. Are any of the people that you spoke with, have you kind of like stalked them online and saw if they're, if they're doing all right business-wise? It varies by, by individual. You know, some of the companies that I talk with have been busier than ever because of the nature of, of what they're doing. You know, um, Stockwell Elastomerics, which is manufactures advanced polymers outside Philadelphia, uh, has been, you know, extremely busy producing components for testing kits and, and other sort of things, as well as New Age Industries, which is already in this sort of medical services, pharmaceutical game. Others like uh, Tracy Abalski, who runs a, a bakery and coffee shop in New York City called the Rockaway Beach Bakery, you know, has been, had to close her business for dining in, which wasn't really much. It was a coffee shop and, it, you know, worn a mask and been busy doing delivery and doorside takeout and has been doing okay. I mean, working harder than ever, but sort of holding on. A lot of the other businesses like the Syrian restaurants that I wrote about here in Toronto have been really struggling. Most have been able to keep the lights on and some have seen advantages. Some have already thought of new businesses that they're going to launch in the next few months as they see those opportunities. I mean, that's so what makes these people entrepreneurs, right? They're like, well, I did it once, you know, and, and it was a stupid idea then. So, well, hell, like, let's go for it. I think that's been really interesting to see. And that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, I'd love if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And also sign up to our email newsletter, Courier Weekly, for more stories of adapting and growing. That's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily is back again tomorrow.